Hey, good evening. Uh, welcome to the new uh, downtown version. It feels like downtown has had to be the most flexible in everything that we've done. Uh, it has, it's been a, a very fun, I don't even know how many months, uh, and fun is probably not the right word to put there. But here we are, uh, and this evening we won't have the background music uh, coming from two different churches, uh, which we've had over the past couple weeks. Thumbs up, so exciting. And I'm glad that you can join us uh, if you're online as well. So we are going to be in the uh, book of Matthew chapter 20, which is read for us. And let me pray and then we'll get going. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us your word. Holy Spirit, uh, we believe that, that you want to lead us to Jesus, whether we're followers currently or not yet followers. And that you want us to see him as the miraculous one, as the one who can rescue us, who can change us, who can invest in us. And uh, to do that eternally. All the investments we make in this life are going to run out, but the investments that are made in what Jesus talked about being the kingdom of heaven will go on forever. And so we want to be investing there. Would you help us to, to pay attention tonight to what you have to say? Uh, would you lock our, our hearts into to you, Spirit? And would you speak to us things that maybe we weren't planning on, on you speaking at all? So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen. So you can turn uh, to your Bibles in Matthew 20. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, you probably have a phone. There's something called U- Version app, and you can go on there and you can download the uh, Bible and use that. But I'm going to be in Matthew 20 tonight. And um, I think this is the fourth, the fourth time preaching today. So uh, I'm, I'm a little tired, and yet I'm very excited to be, to be here. So here's the reality, is that you and I have way more than we deserve. I don't know your stories, uh, not all your stories, I know some of them. Uh, but I do know that you and I have way more than, than we deserve. Um, probably you ate at least a meal, uh, probably multiple meals today. Uh, probably you have enough change to be able to get something on your way back home. A- and that fact is interesting in and of itself, that you have somewhere to go, right? And that's most of our realities. That you have so much more than you deserve. We have so much more than we deserve. But we often don't see life that way, do we? We oftentimes get stuck in the things that we wish that we had. Or we look around and we're like, well, well that guy or that lady has, has that thing. Was that a noise from up there? Were the heavens making noises? All right. I guess we can't get away from people being in this building. Uh, so we're just going to own it. And people online, it doesn't matter to you. So we'll keep going. But we don't see life the way that we're, we're, that we're just full of contentment so often. We, we see life that we're missing out. Why is that? Why is that? Well, Jesus knows that we're going to think that way. Jesus knows the things that we're going to struggle with. And so he actually speaks a parable about this. He tells us a story. Now, if you were here last week, you would know that I compared a parable to uh, a walnut. How many of you have seen a walnut? This is where I just find out who's actually paying attention. Because uh, probably all of you have seen a walnut before. Uh, larger, larger nut. How many of you have actually tried to crack a walnut with your bare hands? Have you really? I've never seen you do that. That's incredible. Um, my children are doing amazing things I didn't know about. But to crack a walnut is extremely difficult. Really, really hard. You have to be very determined, very hungry to get inside of a walnut. And yet that's what Jesus is saying his parables are like. That if you want to actually know what's going on, there's a deeper meaning to all of this. So you can see my parable in the story and just walk by it. Or you can actually say, I want to get down into this and find out what this means and what God might say to me through that. 
So that's what Matthew 20 is. That's the journey that we're going to be on tonight. It's like cracking this walnut that Jesus is throwing out there for us. And here's the reality. Is that you're going to find yourself in this story. And it might not be the person that you wish was in the story. In fact, when you see yourself, you, you might not like that. And Jesus actually tells these stories to provoke you. And to provoke us. Not so that we stay that way. But so that we can be provoked toward being more and more like him. So this is what a parable really is. So um, basically this story has three different parts to it. Uh, the first part is the work day. The second part is the work pay. And the third part is our understanding of it. So let me get into the first part, the work day. All right, so Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 7 says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also, go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. And then about five, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. So some questions. Like we're going to get into questions and we're going to participate together. Like as we're going through this uh, text. But Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this. If you want to know what it's like to live in the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus is giving you different vantage points into the realities of a place where he is ruling and reigning. Where his, his sovereign will is taking place. And it's a good place. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes into a marketplace at 6 a.m. Now here's the thing. Marketplace, if you are a temporary unskilled worker, right? And this could mean that you have some sort of disability. It could mean that you're very elderly. It could mean that you are a criminal and no one's going to hire you. It could mean a whole host of things. But if you're working a, a, a temporary, as a temporary unskilled worker, in the morning early you go into the marketplace and you wait. And you hope that someone comes along and that they look at you and they say, yes, I need, I need you to come with me for the day. And the wage that they give you is going to be one that's going to be satisfactory to, to the way that you are actually living. But if you're a temporary unskilled worker, you don't expect high wages. You expect basically enough to get by today. And you know that tomorrow you're going to be going back to the marketplace again. Well, here's what happens. The landowner comes, he finds the people that he needs, and he says, I, I'm going to agree with you that, that I will pay you a denarius. Now, how many of you work in the denarius currency currently? Right? It's not something that we typically use or use at all. Uh, we use Canadian dollars, American dollars, the pound, whatever it is that you're trading in. But a denarius is a soldier's wage. It would be what a soldier would get paid for one day. So in modern day terms, that would be about $450 Canadian which would be like $30 American, but let's stick with Canadian currency right now. So they, uh, they, they make this agreement that the landowner is going to pay them $450 a day for their work. Now, if you are a temporary unskilled worker and you hear that you're going to get paid $450 a day, what's going on inside of you? What are you thinking? Yeah, like that's a really good thing, right? You're going to at least be able to buy bread today, probably a little bit more. What else are you thinking? This guy's nice. This guy's really generous. 
The 10-year-old's going to own us all this evening if we don't answer, all right? So generous, going to have money, going to be provided for. It also tells us something about the landowner. Like, what, what does the landowner have for resources? Plenty. Yeah, plethora of resources. Lots of money to go around if you can look at a whole group and say, $450, $450, $450 just for today. So he agrees on that, on that price, and they get going. So the, they're at work in the vineyard. Now, the landowner goes back to the marketplace. We don't know why, but he goes back at 9, he goes back at noon, and he goes back at 3. And he hires more people to bring them into the vineyard. Now, most likely this guy is pretty wise, pretty smart. He knows what it's going to take to get this vineyard um, harvested. He knows how many workers it's going to take in the morning. But yet he goes back to the marketplace again. And I don't think it's because he's lacking workers. I really think that it's showing more of the compassion that as he's going through the marketplace, he sees people that still don't have jobs, they don't have resources, and he says, oh, I can provide for them. Why don't you come and, and work in my vineyard, and I'll give you a job for the day, and I'll provide for you in a way that, that you can't provide for yourself. So he gets all these workers, and then he goes back one more time at 5 p.m. Now, the workday only lasts till about 6 p.m. So he goes back and hires more people for one hour of the day. Now, these people say that they've been there all day. They've been waiting for someone to come along, which most likely has been when someone comes to them, and they're like, hey, I have this job. They're like, oh, I would love to do that job. I, I've tried that one time. Not very good at it, but if you'll hire me, that would be amazing. Basically begging for a position all day long. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then finally, something comes. If you've been waiting 11 hours, okay, put yourself in this place for a second. You've been waiting 11 hours for something to come along. And finally you get hired. What, what's going on inside of you at this moment? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I was expecting to go home discouraged. I was expecting to go home and say to my kids, I'm so sorry we don't have supper again. Uh, to go back desperate, right? But now we get to be extremely encouraged. Wow, it doesn't even matter what you pay me, really. I'm only going to give you an hour's worth of work. So now the workday's done. Workday's all over. Um, I had a job, my first job ever was, I worked at a beach. I, I'm from Maine. And I worked uh, at a rich beach. I didn't really belong there, but I worked at a rich beach. Now, uh, every day, every 12 hours, the, the tide changes. Okay, that's what oceans do. And so every 12 hours, seaweed is coming in. Now, at this very rich beach, they wanted to pretend like seaweed did not exist. And so one of my jobs was burying seaweed. So I sold them overpriced snacks, and I buried their seaweed. And they were happy. And I remember finishing my first day, and I went to my boss, and his name is Greg. And I said, hey, Greg. And he's like, hey, how did things go? I'm like, seaweed is buried, overpriced snacks, we're amazing, uh, everyone's happy. He's like, okay, great. And I'm a 14-year-old kid, and I'm still standing there. And he's like, D do you need anything else? I'm like, well, I just worked all day. So I was wondering if you were going to pay me now, or I just wait. And he's like, oh, no, no, like, I give you a check at the end of the week. And I'm like, a check? Like, but I was going to buy stuff on the way home, you know, like I already had planned out. So I was so bummed, but in this day, you got paid right after the day was done. And so this is what actually happens. Let me read verse 8 to 12. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. 
Now, when those who were hired, when those who were hired, about five came, each one received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. So it's a brilliant strategy, right, to line them up 5 p.m. till 6 a.m. And Jesus, as he's telling stories, does it in a brilliant fashion. Because his stories really, they're meant to invoke something in us. They're not meant to just be like, oh, that was nice. I heard Jesus tell a story today, and that was really, it was cute. But rather, he wants to get at our hearts. So he says, imagine that these 5 p.m. guys who've only been working one hour, they're at the front of the line. And what do they get? How much do they get paid? Yeah, one denarius, which is $450, right? If you get $450 given to you, and you worked one hour, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Crazy! I mean, this is amazing. I know it's 6 p.m., but like, here we go. All right. You're feeling so good. Like, you, you think that, I don't know if you've ever read the book Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, but it's like, it's a, a nice ideal that probably few people get to do. But like, if you're getting paid $450 an hour, like, you can probably afford to work the four-hour work week, right? Incredible. And you're like texting your wife, like, I'm on my way home, buy the pizza, get the wine, rent the movie, like, this is going to be a night. Like, this is a night to remember, a night to celebrate, because this one hour was incredible. And when you were that 5 p.m. person, you love it. We love it. When we receive blessing, when we receive the, the stimulus check, when we receive the thing that's above and beyond, we're like, oh, I feel so good, right? We feel like we are the object of someone's affection, whether it be the government or a landowner. We love it. But if you're, if you're the 6 a.m. guys, all right? So 6 a.m. are watching the 5 p.m. guys get paid, and buddy Chuck, right? We'll call him Chuck. He's, he's coming around, and Chuck is losing his mind, and the 6 a.m., you know, Ron will call him. Ron is like, Chuck, what are you so excited about? And Chuck's like, I got paid $450 for an hour. And Ron is like, dang. Like, if that guy gets paid $450 an hour, what are we going to get? Right? And they start opening up their mind to a whole new reality of we are going to bank. We're going to cash in. I think a 12-year-old girl I asked in the last service, I'm like, what would you say? And she's like, yes. Right? <laughs> That's when that's appropriate. But what do they get? They finally make their way to the foreman. They put out their hands, like maybe bigger. And what do they get? A denarius. The same as the 5 p.m. guys. Now, what, what goes on in your heart at that moment? Yeah. I've been here all day, son. He's like, don't call me son, I'm a landowner. <laughs> He's like, all day long, I've been working for you. And the landowner's like, but this is what we agreed on. And remember, at the beginning of the day, you thought this was very generous. It was probably ten times what a temporary unskilled worker would make. But when he sees the one-hour person versus what he worked 12 hours to get, there's all this jealousy, this resentment. Why? This isn't fair. It's not fair that you would pay people that, that haven't put in the same time 
that I have. There's really two things that you can feel in this moment. You can feel joy. Ah, Chuck. Man, he's been out of work for so long. He's had it so tough. Chuck, brother, I'm so glad that you are going to be taken care of. Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your movie rental. Enjoy, enjoy your family. It'll be great. It could be joy with, wow, I can't believe what I have received. I know that he worked one hour. I know I worked 12, but I can't believe that I get this. What a generous what a generous thing I get. So there's that. Or there's that other side, that nasty side of the jealousy and the bitterness and the resentment. And do you know how many relationships have been broken because of this type of thing happening? It's like Chuck didn't even ask for that much money. He just got it. And Ron, because he had to work 12 hours to get it, hates Chuck. He's resentful towards Chuck and the landowner. This is what our hearts are capable of. That we, we turn in so hard on what we didn't get that we end up being bitter and resentful and jealous of everyone and all opportunities out there because we didn't get it. You see, it's these type of stories that help us know what's really going on inside of us, huh? This is where you really find out what's going on. You think, oh, I'm all good. You know, everything's good. But you're like a glass of water, and when that glass gets bumped, like you find out, oh, I guess I wasn't as stable as I, as I thought I was. We're really good when everything's all good. But it's when situations like this that enter into our lives where we get to see what's actually going on in our hearts. So who are you in the story? Don't answer this yet, but who are you in the story, and why are you that person? Who are you in the story and why are you that person? Now, before getting into the last section, the understanding of this, let me share who's represented in this parable, all right? So there's a landowner. Who do you think that the landowner landowner represents? No. No. God. Yeah. The landowner represents God. All right, it's too late. This is for a sermon. If you get it wrong, I'm just going to say no. Like, first sermon, I'm like, oh, good try, buddy. Like, come on, try a little harder. And I'm just like, wrong. So sorry. Uh, the vineyard, what do you think the vineyard represents? I'm putting on gentleness right now for your response. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's right. Now, laborers, the laborers that are called into the, the vineyard, who are they? The what? Sinners. Sinners. <laughs> Us folk. <laughs> We're yeah, the kingdom of heaven people, right? Kingdom of heaven people. <laughs> Sinners. <laughs> Joel, is, Joel is belligerent. You give him a mic and he just thinks he can yell whatever he wants. Kingdom of heaven people, right? Brought into the vineyard. What does the workday represent? What do you think the workday represents? Yeah, our lifetime, exactly. Yeah. Your life. Yeah, good job. All right, and what do you think the pay is? The pay. The what? Eternal life, yes. Eternal life. So there it is. God is the landowner. Kingdom, kingdom of heaven is the vineyard. The kingdom of heaven people are the laborers. 
lifetime is the work day and eternal life is the pay. And the reason why I wanted to hit that now is because as we get into these last four verses, it's important to go in between like landowner and God. We're going to make all the connections here. So let me read um, the understanding of this. So Jesus says, the landowner replied to one of them. And this is what's also masterful about the way that Jesus told stories was that it wasn't just about a mass of people. Jesus would then like turn the story and say, oh, one of them. Because as a single individual and a single individual hearing, he's, he's trying to put you into the story. Imagine that you're here. So the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I want you to just notice in verse 13, he calls, the landowner calls this man friend. This wasn't a cold interaction like, hey, laborer, hey, temporary unskilled worker, hey, guy over there. He instead makes this close proximity relationship, friend. And they might have been actual friends. He might have hired one of his friends to be a laborer there for the day. But what Jesus is helping us understand about the kingdom of heaven is that it's not this cold, distant kingdom that God is not out there somewhere hoping that everything is going on okay in this realm. And he checks in once in a while and he throws some blessings. And when he's having a bad day, he throws some judgments or some COVID or whatever. And like, good luck, you know, I'll be back. That's not how he rolls. It's not how the kingdom of heaven functions. That God says, I want to be your friend. And not in the fickle way, like, please, I'll do anything to be your friend. He's saying, I want to be the friend that, you're, that you are deeply looking for. That you are longing for a friend like me. And how do I know that? Because I made you for me. The longings that you feel for community and companionship and friendship and connectedness are longings in your heart that will never be fulfilled until they find all their fulfillment in me. That's what God is saying. And I want to be your friend. Yes, I'm going to be the sovereign one. I'm going to be the ruler. I'm going to be the Lord. But I'm going to be your friend. That God wants to be your friend. He's an an imminent God who is here in our midst right now. And he is not here to hurt you. God does not have this list of how to destroy Miller on his fridge And he's like, what am I going to choose today? And he plays darts like, that one is going to be a doozy, right? That's not what he's doing. He he always has in his scope what is best. And that doesn't always feel like what's best for us. But yet as a parent, sometimes we have to make decisions for our kids that you're going to do this and this is what's best. And they look at us and they say, this is not what's best. But it's like, you have a seven-year-old view, (laughs) right? We know what you need to become. And so we're going to say no to this because this is what's best for you. And that's the way that God works with us as well. That he does what is in our best. One of the things that trips us up is when we take promises that God has never made and we attach them to him. We, we develop these false ideas of who God is and, and what God is going to do in a similar way that, that these 6 a.m. laborers did. Right? Oh, if they received this amount, then what are we going to receive? 
We do that with God. And we say, I think that God should be like this. I want God to be like this. And we end up constructing our own view of God. And yet when we go to scripture, it's like it's not there. And so many of my counseling sessions with people around their frustrations with God have to do with their understanding of who God is, not who God actually is. And it's like we have to deconstruct these things and then rebuild them again according to who God says he actually is. And the landowner says, I'm doing you no wrong. I'm absolutely doing you no wrong. And I'm giving you what we agreed upon. At the beginning of the day, the deal was amazing, wasn't it? For those 6 a.m. laborers. The deal was outstanding. But now, when, when you're faced with the fact that someone got what I got for only working an hour, oh, that's offensive. Oh, that's frustrating. Oh, that, that hurts. That hurts. And we say, but, but they don't deserve that. They don't deserve what they got. I deserve what I got. But truly, the landowner can look and say, no, you didn't deserve that. What you deserved was a fraction of that. In fact, what you deserved was to be abandoned and left at the marketplace. But do you know what I did for you? Out of my compassion for you, out of my generosity for you, out of my love for you even, I went to the marketplace and I got you. And I brought you into my vineyard. And I bestowed upon you riches that you couldn't get on your own. In fact, there was no way for you to get them. And this is what God says. You don't deserve the kingdom of heaven, right? These are fun things to hear, right? You don't deserve the kingdom of heaven, but you are so loved that I came and I found you and I brought you in to my kingdom. Not because of how spectacular you are, not because of how many push-ups you can do, not because of how many things you can lift and how many grapes you can harvest, none of that, but because I am a generous God who wants to show you how generous I really am. And I want you to become just like me. I want my generosity not to just be something that sits in your bank account, but that you put like automatic payments that go into your neighbors and into your friends, into your job, that your gener- my generosity is going through you to the people that you're connected to on a regular basis. You see, Jesus loves you so much that he would come and he would live a perfect life. He was the only one who earned entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And yet he said, I want, I want all of you to be in my kingdom as well. And so I'm going to give you my entrance ticket. I'm going to take your rebellion against me. I'm going to take your iniquity. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die in your place so that you can be brought into my kingdom and have a whole new future. See, we so easily forget, don't we, that we didn't earn our place. See, comparative righteousness means when I look around the room, I'm like, well, I'm better than most people on this side of the room. Not so much this side of the room, but at least I'm better than them. I'm a little bit more righteous. And you online don't know who's sitting on that side of the room. You may or may not agree with me. But that's how we do life. I'm better than this person. I'm not as good as this person. I can run as fast as this person, not as fast as... I make more money than this person. I make less money than this person. Like that's... We're, we're living in comparisons all the time. And yet the kingdom of heaven, comparisons are gone. There's no more comparisons anymore. Because it's not about you. The kingdom of heaven's not about you. It's about the king. It's about the fact that he... Gave up his life so that he could bring you into his kingdom, give you a place, give you his inheritance, and so you can sit at his table and be loved.
that you can be adopted. Life is not about you. It's not about you, primarily. But you are brought into the story of God. And you're given a place in this story. This, this, this question is, it pokes at our hearts. Are you jealous because I'm generous? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Joy is such a beautiful thing. I love watching little kids when they're joyful. Not so much when they're not joyful, but when they're joyful, uh, it's beautiful. But you take that joy and you put it in the closet of comparison and it gets all moldy and rusty and nasty. Right? That joy is fleeting. It's gone. It's gone. And here's the reality is that we want for people to know the generosity of God. I want for you to know the generosity of God. I really do. But so often I get hung up and I know we get hung up on the fact that we don't want for people to know the generosity of God more than we do. I can't have God being more generous to you than he is to me. What am I supposed to do with that? I need just as much blessing. And, and I could be totally satisfied at the beginning of the day and leaving my house like singing kumbaya or something and I'm, I'm moving about my day and all of a sudden I look around and I'm so discontented because I see all the things that I don't have that I wish I had. And I say, God, do you even love me? Are you even for me? I thought I was, I thought I was your son. I thought that you cared about me. You see, we aren't ready often when God overwhelms people in ways we didn't receive it. Some of us want to be married. And you want a spouse. And yet when, when, someone, when you have to go to the wedding of someone, you're like, ah, fine, I'll say yes, happy for you, but I want the wedding. Some of you want a child, and you've prayed for so long, and when, when you hear news, there was a time in our church where it was like, Every couple days, people were like, hey, we're pregnant again. And, and I also knew people in our church that, that wanted to be pregnant. And it's like every time they heard that, it's like, I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. But I just feel jealousy. When that guy gets a promotion, he didn't even go to school for the thing that he, like, you went to school for. And he gets promoted. And it's like, ah, like why? I would be an ambassador of the Lord of generosity in this position, but because I don't have it now, jealousy is moving in me. We aren't ready for when God overwhelms people with what we think that we should receive. But Jesus said God has the right to do what he wants with his stuff. And we don't always see, we don't know why that person gets that thing or that person gets that thing or these people get this or this person doesn't get this. We don't know. We don't know. But when our hearts get caught up with the fact that you have so much more than you deserve. When you say, when your heart is able to say, I have, had, I have so much more than I deserve. It's really hard for jealousy to get a foothold in there. When your heart is rock solid around, I am so blessed. I have so much more than I deserve. Jealousy can't get in. And so what God wants us to do is not to, okay, be a person who doesn't have jealousy anymore. No, 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 no. That's moralism. That's, that's behavior modification. That's religion. That's not what the gospel is about, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is into replacing affections with new affections. That's the only way to put to death something, by the way. You want to stop doing something, you have to replace it with something greater. And so Jesus says, when you feel jealousy like welling up inside of you. 
you're going to have to run back to the Father and say, I, I'm complaining to you that I don't have this thing, but now I want to reorient my heart around all that I have that I don't deserve. One of the things that I do, I take a day of silence and solitude once a month, and I start the day with a, an open journal and a half hour, and I write all the things that I have that I don't deserve. And it starts out really slow. I write like four or five things. I'm like, well, I, I think this is it. And then it just starts coming. And it's like writing, 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 writing. And it gets like really simple, like clean air and like clean water and a, a family and a church family and the fact that we can be connected during COVID. And it, we can just keep going, going, going. But when our hearts are caught up with how blessed and, and generous God has actually been toward us, we, we can drop the jealousy. It's like there's something greater to be held on to. The fact that God has been so generous toward us so that we can be generous just like him. And we can let that generosity melt the jealousy and, com- and comparison that exists in our heart. So then Jesus finishes it by saying, so the last will be first and the first last. That sounds very uh, enigmatic, doesn't it? It's like um, just very strange. What does that mean? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Well, there's one commentator that I read, and he said, um, if, if we thought of um, the kingdom of heaven and eternal life like a race, some people would start, and they would seem way ahead, and other people would be way behind. But at the end, it's all going to end in a dead heat that everyone is going gonna, is gonna to cross at the same time, that everyone is getting eternal life in the same way. Jesus is not going to say, here I am, and here's my favorite disciple, John, right? That's not it. He's saying, you're all my people. You're all in. You've all made it. The last will be first. The first will be last. The kingdom of heaven doesn't work like our world does. Oh, you put in the most amount of time. Oh, you learned the most Bible trivia. Oh, you memorized a bunch of scripture. Oh, you went to church every Sunday. Oh, you, oh, you did all these things. And oh, you only knew him right before you died you stay over there in the second class place, you get all the, the little awards. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's you. Lord planned it two minutes before you died to be in. You get the same rewards in a sense that this person does. And it doesn't mean that we wait our whole life. Okay, I'll just put it off until two minutes before I die and then I'll submit to, to King Jesus. That's not how it works. That Jesus wants to bestow on us honor now and enjoyment now. Riches for later. But in the end, honestly, any little thing that Jesus does for us, it says in the Bible that we're going to get crowns. That those in the kingdom of heaven are going to get crowns. And like, as a kid, I thought like, oh, that would be pretty cool to get a crown, to be a king, to have everyone notice me. But then as I grew up and actually understood who Jesus is, it's not about the crown that's on my head. No one's like, oh, wow, your crown. It's like, well, everyone's wearing crowns, apparently. But then what happens in the end of the Bible is that everyone who's wearing a crown takes it off and throws it at the feet of Jesus. Because it's like, we didn't earn this. This is all for you. This is all your glory, for your glory. This is all because of you. And so now, as we're here in this world right now, we have an opportunity to open up the kingdom of heaven to other people. We have the opportunity to open that up through the generosity of God working through us. That you, I, I hear within Christianity sometimes like, uh, I, I'm praying for a blessing. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do for that, with that blessing? Because God never 
blesses people. That's a funny word sometimes. We misuse it. But God doesn't give you things just for you. God will bless you so that you can bless others. It's this continual thing that God wants to make himself known through you. And he wants for people in Montreal to understand the generosity of God through you toward them. And the borders of the kingdom of heaven are wide open. COVID isn't shutting down the borders. COVID's not shutting down the economy of of God right now. Eternal generosity is on the table of God. And it's just like this massive banquet of benevolence that's sitting there waiting for people. One of the things, I eat bacon every single morning. It's amazing. Highly recommend it. It's incredible. Um, But everyone wakes up in my house to the smell of bacon. And they don't always get to taste of it because I ate it all before they wake up. Uh, That's true. It's a true story most mornings. Um, But imagine that when you wake up, it wasn't just the smell, but there was this table full of bacon. And it had other things too. If you're a vegan, it's like, croissants maybe i don't don't know what's that something significant at that table i need to learn more about veganism i guess for illustration purposes uh but nonetheless there's a a, this banquet table of food and it's like you wake up and you're like who's this for and it's like you it's all for you and you're like i can't eat all this food and the lord like grabs all these tupperware containers and says fill them up bring them to work put them in your fridge bring them to your neighbor's house and, and share the generosity of me everywhere you go. Take my banquet table of benevolence and show the city who I am through it. That we should be the most generous people in the city. The Macedonians who were poor were begging the Apostle Paul, story in the New Testament, begging him for opportunities to give. And he's like, in their poverty, they're begging so that you would be cared for. When the generosity of God gets hold of your heart, look out. Because you're going to want to give it all away. There's going to need to be wisdom in this because you're going to want to give everything away. But when the generosity of God takes over your heart, your your hands are going to be open toward everyone that you meet. And Jesus says, it's good news because I want you to invite everyone in the city into my kingdom. So I'm going to invite Valentina to come up and uh, lead us uh, in song, as we take communion and as we respond, uh, we're gonna, when she's done, we're going to take communion together. We're going to have some questions. Uh, I'm going to put the questions up here. Oh, yeah, giving. If you're a part of Church 21, one of our privileges is to give. And we love to be generous so that more people in the city get to know who Jesus is. And so here's our, our online uh, way to give. There's also envelopes and a little uh, box over there. You write your name on that envelope. We can give you a tax uh, receipt as well. But we give not because it's a religious obligation, but because Jesus has our heart. And so we don't care about our stuff anymore. And we really want to be generous toward the city. Um, and let me put these uh, questions before we, we knock off the live stream. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about at the end. Is the Spirit saying anything specific to you? And who do you want to be like in the story and why? Is joy or jealousy your typical response to God's generosity to others? And then in what ways has God given you more than you deserve? So I'm going to pray and then we'll send the online uh, location off. And, um, and then we'll keep going here. So Lord, thank you that you are generous toward us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are, are constantly offering out this banquet table of benevolence to us. We need you. 
We need you. Help us to respond the way that you want us to respond this evening. Holy Spirit, would you change our hearts? Would you give us new affections for Christ Jesus? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.